0: the truth news network
1: a president lies you know he's lying he knows you know he's lying and you know he knows you know so what do you do hmm? you might want to figure it out how about someone telling the truth we can help you with that we're tnn the truth news network and the man you can rely on is Dan Newman. You know, he knows, you know that he's lying. Is that kind of a conundrum, a big circle there? And uh, I, I can't figure all this out. I wonder if you can. I don't think anybody that number among the 535 members of the U.S. Congress and all those in this presidential administration have any ability to figure it out. If they did, folks... It wouldn't be happening like this. Yet, every day, just when you think and hope today may be the day when we turn the corner on all this insanity, we find out, nope, didn't happen, ain't happening right now. And still, we're spending money we don't have. We're spending our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren's inheritances, and uh, nobody gives a rip about that. Oh, it's like... You know, the story about the man and his wife, and she really didn't take care of the business in the household. He just gave her a checkbook, and uh, he gets a call from the bank one day and says, Buddy, you're extremely overdrawn in your account. What's going on? So he looks at it online and says, OMG. He calls the missus and says, Look, I just got a call from the bank. We don't have any money in that account because you've spent it all, and you're still writing checks. And she said, Wait a minute. There's still money in that bank. There's still checks in the checkbook. That means I can keep writing them until all the checks are gone. That's exactly what is happening to us in the United States government right now. There's no good explanation for it. We don't have money to spend. We're required. I say we are. The government is required by the United States Constitution to present a, a budget for the nation every year. They do that. Never do it on time. Obviously. And then why even go through the macronations of creating a budget when you have no intention, none whatsoever, of actually following the budget and so you're just going to keep spending, so why waste our time and effort? Why don't you do something like, um, oh, I don't know, enforcing the laws? You know, all those things that you committed in your oath of office to do. If you're a member of the United States House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, the White House... Everybody that's in government, to get there, they're not just hired, they all swear an oath to the job, to the nation they're supposed to be doing and serving us, the American people. You know that old worn-out thing. Government of, government by, and government for the people. Nobody in D.C., at least on the left side of the political aisle, thinks that we have any right to question anything that they choose to do, all that empowers them, all that is necessary for them to wield all this horrible top-down government results that they're giving to us is that they were elected. And I don't want to go this way, but in some cases, I don't think they were elected legally. Not going down that rabbit rabbit hole. But I'm just pointing it out. There's so many uncertainties. Uncertainties. There's so many unknown things, so many things that a lot of people want to claim are factual, but they're not. You're going to hear about some of those this morning. And it starts at the top. It starts at the White House. It starts with President Joe Biden. So our friends down under in Australia at Sky News, every once in a while, once or twice a week, I like to turn to them because they can be a tad more objective about what they and other foreigners to us at least foreigners think about the united states our government those that occupy seats of power in our government joe biden obviously the obvious one that is always at the center of this yesterday sky news weighed in with an updated current account of what's going on with president joe biden
2: another week of the US president making a monumental fool of himself and the media gaslighting the public in a futile attempt to hide just how incoherent and incompetent the president is. Let's hear Joe Biden be all types of wrong here. You know, I've adopted the attitude of the great Negro at the time, pitcher in the Negro leagues went on to become a great pitcher in the pros in the Major League Baseball after Jackie Robinson. His name was Satchel Paige. And of course, it wasn't long before the media were doing their best to tell you what you just heard didn't actually happen. No, Joe Biden did not refer to Satchel Page as a Negro during Veterans Day speech, claimed to mediate in their weird fashion of capitalizing every single word. Now, let's listen again to what he said, and you, you make up your own mind. You know, I've adopted the attitude of the great Negro at the time, pitcher in the Negro Leagues went on to become a great pitcher in the pros. So, word for word, he said, I've adopted the attitude of the great Negro at the time, pitcher in the negro leagues went on to become a great pitcher in the pros and the incoherent speech continued on for several minutes after that now president biden is known for repeating stories about satchel page the trailblazing black baseball pitcher when meeting with the pope a couple of weeks ago he spoke about satchel page didn't bother to bring up an issue like abortion but he did talk about a baseballer who was playing 50 60 years ago It's clear that no matter how much the bulk of the media ignore Biden's mental lapses, his destructive policies and the grim toll they're having on America from soaring inflation rate to the border crisis to foreign policy disasters, the media protection racket is not working. That's why Biden's approval rating is now south of 40%.
1: It's actually in the mid-30s. Americans just don't feel like the guy currently in the White House is really okay, and I don't want to be ugly or mean or point fingers. Folks, cognitive disability is a real thing. I've experienced it in my own family, and there's no easy way around it. But conventional wisdom says whoever's serving in the White House should have all their mental faculties all lined up and in, in a row. But then it's not just questions about our president. What about the other half of the central Uh, space or joint or center of power in the executive branch. I'm talking about the vice presidential who's holding the office of vice president right now. We all know that because they told us and we see her every once in a while talking about former U S Senator Kamala Harris from California. And, um, but we don't see her doing very much. In fact, The only really big news that comes out of all of that is the fact that there apparently is a big rift between Kamala Harris's people and Joe Biden's people. And so more than anything regarding Kamala Harris is people are wondering how she's getting along with Joe Biden instead of what the heck are they doing? Well, Joe Biden told us at the very beginning of their administration, he had asked Elizabeth excuse me, Kamala Harris, I started to say Elizabeth Warren. He had asked the vice president to be um, the person that was coordinating all of the stuff that happened at the southern border. Of course, she was very quick in another conversation later that day that she was not handling and had not been asked to handle the actual southern border stuff, but to coordinate with Central American governments to get to the root of the causes of the flood of immigrants coming across. Big difference there. And so, how has that played out? Well, she hadn't done a dadgum thing. She did make a trip to Mexico and Guatemala, spoke to the leaders there, and they pretty much dressed her down and told her and told the world she doesn't have a clue about what she's talking about. And since then, she's done very little but embarrass herself. So yesterday, she had a chance to redeem herself. Now, you just heard Sky News tell us a little bit about foreigners, people in other parts of the world, about what they think about Joe Biden and what he's doing and not doing and what he's actually doing that just doesn't make much sense. Well, Kamala Harris got in front of a camera and a microphone yesterday on that very important topic of inflation. What's going on with the American people? I'm going to let you make your determination about Kamala Harris yourself. Uh,
3: ma'am, the U.S. is experiencing record inflation, the worst in 30 years, way beyond expectations. OPEC didn't increase oil production. Can you tell us a little bit about how you would prevent the, the new spending and your Build Back Better agenda from exacerbating the problem? And also, what else are you going to do to fix this problem with inflation? right. Thank you.
4: Well, let's start with this. Uh, Prices have gone up and families and individuals are dealing with the realities of of that bread costs more, that gas costs more. And we have to understand what that means. That's about the cost of living going up. That's about having to stress and stretch limited resources. That's about a source of stress for families that is not only economic, but is on a daily level, something that is a heavy weight to carry. So it is something that we take very seriously, very seriously. And we know from the history of this issue in the United States that when you see these prices go up, it has a direct impact on the quality of life for all people in our country. So it's a big issue and we take it seriously. And it is a priority, therefore. So we have addressed it in a number of ways. One of the um, issues that we know is is related to this is uh, the supply chain issue that we just discussed. And so on a domestic level, in terms of domestic policy, one of the approaches we have taken is to work with labor unions and to work with municipalities in opening back up and extending the hours of our ports. Um, But there is also a point that is important to make on the – build back better framework one it is designed to make it less expensive for working people to live it was specifically designed to bring down the costs and build back better is not gonna cost anything we're paying for it so that is a big part of our agenda and um, I think it's important to also stress that it's not going to cost anything for the American taxpayer.
1: It's not going to cost anything. Now, let me just ask you this. What was the opening question that she was supposedly responding to? If you forgot or you missed it, listen closely to the reporter asking a question, a specific question of Kamala Harris.
3: Uh, Ma'am, the U.S. is experiencing record inflation, the worst in 30 years way beyond expectations. OPEC didn't increase oil production. Can you tell us a little bit about how you would prevent this, the new spending and your Build Back Better agenda from exacerbating the problem? And also, what else are you going to do to fix this problem with inflation?
1: Yeah. Yeah. She answered those two parts, didn't she? What's the Build Back Better bill going to do to make sure that we don't have continued and even worse inflation. And um, what are you going to do about inflation? You didn't hear her answer in anything that she said. You didn't get an answer to those two-part questions. You know what's interesting is there are millions of other Americans that are parroting the question that, uh, that reporter asked the, the vice president, everybody just wants to know, hey, I can't do anything personally about inflation. I didn't do anything to start it. I certainly can't do anything to stop it. And of course, as she um, waded through her answer to try to come up with something meanif- meaningful to say at the very end of that four or five minute segment, she did say, we're giving you more money. We're giving you more money, which is going to make it easy for you to pay for stuff. So when we get the supply chain issues figured out and fixed and, uh, uh, you know, the reason that all of this stuff is happening, it's not because of inflation. Any inflation we have is the term they use is transitory. It's not permanent. It's not permanent. I was around in 1976 when Jimmy Carter was elected president. And we found out for the first time in my lifetime how bad and how big inflation is and how costly it can be to the American people. We had people that were taking out mortgages on homes, paying 16 17% mortgage interest rates. Can you imagine? You're getting stuff now at 2%. uh, Just think about the difference that makes in the money that you spend and what you have left over. After you do the basic stuff, which is make your mortgage payment or your rent payment and, uh, of course, pay for your utilities, groceries, et cetera, which are also skyrocketing in cost, Uh, buying fuel, $5 a gallon already in New York State and California. Across the board, pretty much, I think it's safe to say the cost of gasoline has doubled since Inauguration Day. She didn't address any of that. Oh, this Build Back Better thing—it's 1.7 trillion. You heard us two days ago tell you that uh, one outfit, very credible economic outfit, tore the Build Back Better bill apart, and they came back with the number, realistic number, that is nowhere near one and three-quarter trillion dollars. It's actually 4.91 trillion dollars. You're going to hear more about the uh, the scoring on the bill back better bill. I'm I'm going to stop calling it the BBB, the bill back better. I'm going to call it the BBS, the bill back stupid bill. Wow, there is so much going on. I interacted back and forth last night with Congressman Mike Johnson, and uh, they've been in committee hearings all this week, from early early in the morning till late in the evening. There's a lot of stuff going on up there. They're not going to get, I would guess and say probably not even 20% of the legislation that is pending that's very important. We've got that debt limit thing coming up in just a couple of weeks. You know, they just pushed it out. They didn't ever resolve it. And the Republicans are going to war. I think they've made that the proverbial line that they're not going to cross, which is we're not going to increase the debt spending, the debt spending limit for the government, we're not going to agree to do that unless you stop some of this other uncontrollable and massive wasteful spending. It's going to be interesting to see if they, uh, they will follow through with that. Mitch McConnell hadn't been really big about holding a line when it comes to something like this. This nation has never defaulted on its debt. If they don't, get us at a point where we can push the debt limit forward that's what will happen eventually we'll default on our debt now what does that mean? Everybody that owns bonds, US treasury bonds of any kind and I'm talking about not just foreign countries because foreign countries own a huge portion of our debt and by the way everybody thinks it's China, it's really not the United Kingdom owns more of our debt than do the Chinese. You know who the biggest holders of U.S. government debt are? This will probably blow your mind if you haven't heard this here before. You and me, the American people. Well, I didn't buy any. I don't have any of that. Do you have any kind of retirement at your company that you work for? Your 401k? Your simple IRS, IRA? If you own any of those things, if you have any of those things, those purchase treasury bonds, which means you, in effect, (laughs) own a piece of the federal government and their obligation to you. So the biggest losers, if the U.S. would ever default on its debt, would be all of us. But they're not going to let that happen. The U.S. has never done that. We even have these economists that are supposed to be economists that really know that say the U.S. can never default on its debt. <sighs> and yet they're trying to find out. <laughs> this is not a situation where we can just let it go along and at some point say, well, whoops, we were wrong. We really can default on our debt. I sat Uh, As as you know, I wasn't here yesterday, and I apologize for that, but I had a back procedure in um, the hill country of Texas, and I'll just describe it this way. Just think for a moment for yourself, laying on your face on a table, and a doctor, you're not under anesthesia. Uh, They deadened everything, quote, unquote, deadened it. And uh, along both sides of my spine, about halfway up, L3, L4, L5. If you know anything about backs, you know where that is. It's lower back. And on both sides of my spine, on each side, three injections directly into my spine. Six of those Hummers. It was a very moving moment. (laughs) But anyway, everything's good. Drove back last evening, got to spend a, a, a little bit of time with Caleb, our our son and his wife in Fort Worth. And uh, I did miss you. We did have a story up yesterday. And speaking of stories up, you go back to Monday. You remember the story on Monday? It was about questioning who the real Anthony Fauci is. And you remember the content? If you haven't read that story, you need to go back and read it. It came from a very well-sourced and informed book, that is just being released now, in fact, I'll have to look, it wasn't out yesterday, I think they may release it today or tomorrow, by Robert Kennedy Jr. And when I say well-sourced and researched, it's very critical because people say a lot of things about a lot of people and a lot of people that uh, we find out are being finger-pointed at, diminished and demeaned when the stuff that is being alleged is little more than allegations. But folks found out, and everybody's finding out a little more every day about Dr. Anthony Fauci. If you haven't read that story on Monday, it's actually a compilation of bits and pieces of the interview that my friend Dr. Robert McCullough had with uh, Kennedy. And uh, it's incredible what you're going to find out about it. Let me thank you. Those of you who took time to read that story and weighed in, um, it's, it's kind of a monumental thing for Truth News Network. Two and a half million people read that story. Two and a half million. Now, I was with an attorney friend of mine early, early this morning, and he said, have you thought about that number and put it in context? I said, no, why? What are you talking about? He said, do you know that? The nighttime talk shows on CNN, if they all put their numbers together combined, it's less than half of the people that read that story Monday at Truth News Network. And all I could say was, wow, all that means, folks, is there are a lot of people like you, a lot of people like me that are hungry for facts, and we're tired of just taking everything that we're told out of D.C. as absolute. We're finding out, and this is a sad thing. I'm not glorifying this. I'm not waving a flag. I'm not saying I'm proud of this or be, uh, angry about that. I'm, that's not what this is about. This is about pointing to the fact that our government, who has always, from the very beginning of it, supposed to have been working for us, common causes, enforcement of law, keeping the Constitution front and center as the justification for everything they do. That seems to have all slipped away. But those that are making it happen have no authority to make it happen or to do any of the things that are causing it to happen. None. They were put on notice, very specific notice, by our forefathers with the first Ten Amendments of the Constitution. And all they were doing, the forefathers, when they wrote those things that have been titled the Bill of Rights, those Ten Amendments, we're making sure leaders in the federal government were aware these things, these that are included in these 10 things, those are ours. In other words, the people, the states, and the individual citizens in the United States. And you have no power over them, nor can you change them, unless at some future point we come back and formally endow you with the power to do these things on our behalf. But you need to always understand, we don't work for you. You, members of our government, work for us. And it seems in many cases to be slipping away. They feel like and have been acting like for decades now that the American people don't care, that they can just do whatever they want. We don't give a rip. Maybe some of that was factual. But one thing I'm finding, and you showed me and a whole lot of other people that two and a half million people, they are hungry for facts about this whole COVID-19 vaccine debacle, even the mandates. We're going to get into some of that this morning. You're going to hear from Congressman Mike Johnson a little bit later uh, from a judiciary uh, hearing in uh, the House of Representatives in which. He got into it with his fellow members of that committee. They didn't have, at that point, didn't have a witness in front of them, but it was a conversation about the rule of law, our Department of Justice, and our Attorney General. As you know, he's been in front of Congress in both the House and the Senate the last couple of weeks giving testimony. You're going to hear what Congressman Johnson had to say regarding facts that have come out since the Attorney General under oath testified before that House Judiciary Committee. And then, of course, we have COVID-19. We have a vaccine mandate slash wishful list slash who knows who's in charge and who can do what. We're going to get into all of that. Today's story, and I'm not going to do the whole thing with you, but I just want to relate to it for those of you that may be driving, haven't had a chance to read it. The title is, and this is a big question I'm being asked a lot, will this Joe Biden-OSHA employer mandate to vaccinate employees, is it going to stand? And then immediately there's another question that comes up. What's the real substance of the OSHA vaccine mandate rule? Well, I'll just back into this by telling you, OSHA yesterday announced they're going to put a pause on enforcement of this employer vaccination for him for corporations that have a hundred employees or more, they're going to stop it for a moment just to wait and see what the courts do. So just kind of a, um, a little look back, a little information piece, the Biden administration unveiled an emergency rule for COVID-19 protections for those big companies that employ. I don't know if you realize this two thirds of the nation, the employees in the nation are employed by these big companies. So the new OSHA rule came two months after Joe Biden announced a series of things that he said would help swiftly end the pandemic. He said vaccination requirements are good for the economy. He avoided the word mandate to describe this rule, and there's a purpose for that. He said uh, they not only increase vaccination rates, but they help send people back to work, as many as 5 million American workers. They make our economy more resilient in the face of COVID and keep our businesses open, he said. He said that while he would have preferred to avoid the rule, too many people remain unvaxxed for us to get out of this pandemic for good. Of course, you know he's got a doctor's degree. Uh, he's an immunologist, a virologist. He knows all about that stuff. Heck no, he did not know squat. Republicans on Capitol Hill responded with a fury at the announcement of what he was going to do. One group of GOP lawmakers GOP lawmakers, said they were going to try to use the Congressional Review Act, which allows Congress to block new federal regulations in some cases, to nix this OSHA rule. Other members expressed support for a bill that would abolish OSHA altogether because of the announced rule. Most people don't understand OSHA is not created in the U.S. Constitution. It has no constitutional basis or power or authority. In nearly every statement other than Biden's, and in many news reports on the matter, the OSHA rule was described as a vaccine mandate. But to be honest with you, that's not actually correct. The new rule, you can understand it better as a testing mandate with a vaccine exception. And that distinction could be crucial as it works its way through the courts and, of course, through public opinion. So what did OSHA actually do? We just told you what they did is temporarily paused. OSHA unveiled what is known as an Emergency Temporary Standard, or ETS, on COVID-19 vaxxes and testing for most companies with more than 100 workers. That ETS is roughly 490 pages long. I've looked at it. It's 490 pages. Fewer than 24 pages are dedicated to the rule itself. The rest is just simple justification to try to legitimize what they're doing. In other words, 460-plus pages or just trying to convince us all it's okay for us to make you get vaccinated so what's in it it requires eligible companies to do a few things to make it easier for their employees to get these vaccinations they got to provide paid time off so workers can get vaxxed and recover from any side effects got to maintain list of which workers have already been given the jab establish a notification system for workers who test positive, and other administrative requirements. It also generally requires employers to tell all unvaccinated employees, you got to wear a mask. So what OSHA is not doing is forcing anyone to get a vaccine. Did you get that? OSHA is not forcing anybody to get vaxxed, at least not directly. According to the agency, OSHA, the ETS requires companies to, quote, develop, implement, and enforce a mandatory COVID-19 vaccination policy. But, and this is a big but, there's a pretty clear way around it. The affected companies can forego a vaccine mandate policy if they, quote again, instead establish, implement, and enforce a policy allowing employees to elect either to get vaccinated or to undergo weekly COVID-19 testing and wear a face covering at the workplace. So imagine that you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. OSHA has effectively presented you with two choices. Your first option, order your workers to get vaxxed to comply with OSHA's requirements. Your second Order your unvaxed workers to get regular testing and wear face coverings while you're on the job. Though the Biden folks are framing the vaccine mandate part of the ETS as the default and the testing and masking part as an exception to it, there's no reason it can't be the other way around. Now, that might sound a little trite, a little meaningless for some workers, who may now be compelled to get vaccinated either way. But there's a difference between a mandate imposed by the government and one imposed by a company. In the actual ETS, OSHA said that an employer-based vaccine mandate, as opposed to one from OSHA itself, quote, will be the most effective approach for increasing the vaccination rate of its employees. And of course, that's going to ensure that they have the best protection available against the worst consequences of a COVID-19 infection. And while OSHA claimed in the rule that it may well have the authority to impose a vaccination mandate itself, the agency said it instead decided against pursuing strict vaccination requirements in favor of a rule that would strongly encourage vaccines. OSHA's traditional practice, when including medical procedures, such as medical surveillance testing and VAX, in its health standards, has been to require the employer to make the medical procedure available to their employees, and they have viewed mandating those procedures as a measure to avoid, if possible. So basically what it boils down to, folks, is the book is still out. The book is still out, and the courts have already weighed in, and the big one, of course, came from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals down in New Orleans. There's rampant litigation across the board, across the nation, from states, from individuals, from corporations, state and federal courts have been flooded with lawsuits against this ETS mandate, whatever you want to call it. The Biden administration will inevitably ask the United States Supreme Court to review the decision by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals and uh, to halt its vaccine mandate, which it reaffirmed when the Biden administration instructed American companies just to simply ignore the court's initial ruling. I couldn't believe that happened. It came from um, a case that over in Texas, the government They passed a law that basically says no corporation can require employees to be mandated, period. Well, the Biden administration said, to heck with that. They filed against it, filed for a stay against the Texas law. Texas appealed their stay, went to the Fifth Circuit Court. The Fifth Circuit Court agreed with Texas and said, we're not going to let the government do this. You're not going to be able to vaccinate employees on a forced basis. And then the Biden administration over last weekend, they put it out all over the news. We're instructing companies to ignore the federal court, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling. Y'all go ahead. You got to keep vaxing. Well, it was such an electric thing that they did that one of the judges at the Fifth Circuit Court, Judge Kurt Ingelhart, Predicted that the mandate's challenges are likely to succeed on the merits under judicial review. In other words, it's probably not going to be deemed constitutional for OSHA to do this. He took exception to the attempt to impose the mandate through the OSHA, pointing out that the Constitution's Commerce Clause and the non delegation doctrine preclude OSHA from making such sweeping pronouncements, he said, on matters of public health affecting every member of society in the most profound ways. In his decision, or in their decision, it also declared the mandate fatally flawed on its own terms. You didn't hear anybody in mainstream media come up and tell you what was included in their stay of the Department of Justice's appeal to overturn the Texas ruling. This seriously undermined the administration's claim that the purpose of the mandate is a response to genuine national emergency. That's what their opinion was. So it's 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 temporarily stayed. You need to read the story today. That's just little bits and pieces of it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go all the way down and tell you. So what the heck is going on? What's this all about? The OSHA getting involved and. Biden push, 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 push. What do you think is really happening? i got to be honest with you. I'm almost positive this administration knew the rule is likely to fail the scrutiny of the Supreme Court and will eventually be ruled unconstitutional. But even if that happens, it's not going to happen for a month or more. So what's the benefit of that? Well, I don't think Joe Biden thought this to himself, but somebody that's running our government really behind the scenes, you know, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain pulling the strings and all that, whoever that is, they know that thousands, if not millions more Americans are going to say this, well, my company is requiring that we all abide by the OSHA vaccine mandate. So I'm just going to go ahead and get it now. Bingo. If, and I think it will happen, I think it's already happening, Biden will have accomplished getting many more vaccinated Americans, and no one can blame him for trying. In other words, these actions fit exactly what Democrats do in almost every major situation. Find ways to at least say, we did what we promised we were going to do, but they'll be able to say, We were doing it, pushing hard, but they stopped us, those evil Republicans and conservatives. They just stopped us. How many people have been vaccinated since this whole thing began? How many? I don't think we'll ever know, but I guarantee you there are a bunch of people that have done just what I told you, that the Biden folks, I'm confident they were sure would happen. People are just going to go ahead and get it done maybe even when they didn't have to. Wow. We have so much more to get to. As I, I told you earlier, you're going to hear from Congressman Mike Johnson, Um, a very amazing back and forth in a Senate hearing in which Rand Paul goes face-to-face, toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose. Well, I don't think that can happen, even though Rand Paul is kind of small. He's not nearly as small as is Dr. Anthony Fauci. And they have, and have for a long time, had this blood feud going on. But it has now reached epic proportions. You're going to hear from that. You're going to hear from Rand Paul and Fauci duke it out themselves. That's all ahead this morning on TNN Live. Back after this. Welcome
5: aboard Pizza Hut, where our legendary pan and stuffed crust pizzas will fly you to a world of flavors. Taste an all-American pizza sauce, juicy pepperoni, and farm-fresh mozzarella to discover America's mega pepperoni. Or explore the creamy pesto sauce. Chicken and mushrooms in the French creamy chicken mushroom. Fly far above the rest and taste the variety with five new pizzas. And thank you for flying Pizza Hut.
0: Howdy. The streamer here. You know, there's a place down yonder where three streams converge into one. That's where I saw the Mandalorian get himself into a space squabble. Watch me some UFC. And those folks from Modern Family had me cackling like a trout getting tickled. Well, that's the Disney Bundle for you. It lets you stream Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and ESPN+, Plus for only $13.99 a month. The Disney Bundle. It's
1: streaming
3: at its best. Includes Hulu ad-supported plan. Access content from each service separately. Terms apply. Visit the DisneyBundle.com for details.
0: Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass.
5: Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a swing.
0: Ah! Uh. Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer.
1: Yahoo!
0: Standard carrier text messaging rates apply.
1: Hey, I just got a note with um, some numbers in it. Before I mention that, this is about uh, vaccine and dollars and cents. Before I mention that, I want to remind you, anytime you want to join in the show, you don't want to take me on about something with which you disagree, uh, you want to make a suggestion, you want to talk about anything in particular, this is your show, folks. Grab the phone. We'll pay for the call. Toll-free, 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's one eight six six three seven eight seven eight eight four. 7884 So what about all the zeros to go along with these Pfizer vaccinations and Moderna vaccinations and Johnson and & Johnson? I don't have all the numbers, but let me give you one number that I do have. Pfizer and BioNTech and Moderna, those companies are making combined profits of 90 Thrive... 93 and a half million dollars. Wait a minute, that's not that much, Dan. No, 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 no. That's per day. So how does that interpret into dollars that you and I can understand? Well, it's $65,000 every minute. $1,000 a second. And here's what most Americans don't understand, those companies have sold the vast majority of those doses of their vaccines to rich countries, leaving low-income nations in the lurch. This is according to the People's Vaccine Alliance, a coalition campaigning for wider access to these COVID vaccines. And where they get these numbers, they're based on the firm's own earning reports. The Alliance estimates that the trio are going to make pre-tax profits of $34 billion this year between them. That works out to over $1,000 a second, $65,000 a minute, or $93.5 million a day. Now, where's this money coming from? It's in, in here in the United States, it's coming from you and me. Our federal government is buying every one of these vaccines. We're the ones that are paying these three companies at the rate of $1,000 a second, $93.5 million a day collectively, and that's the profit they make. It's obscene that just a few companies are making millions of dollars in profit every single hour, while just 2% of people in low-income countries have been fully vaccinated. Tuesday, Fauci said it's conceivable the United States could reach COVID endemic level rather than a pandemic by next year, if everyone rolls up their sleeves and gets boosters. He said, to me, if you want to get endemic, you have to get to the level of infection so low that it does not have an impact on society, on your life, on your economy. Now He was talking to Reuters at a health conference. People will still get infected. People might still get hospitalized. But the level would be so low that we don't think about it all the time and it doesn't influence what we do, he added. Eh, you got to wait until Big Pharma pumps out a few more rounds of COVID booster shots that Joe Biden's crew are standing ready to write the check. We're going to give you money. Sell it to us. We'll pay for it. And we'll push them out wherever we think they should go. I just wonder how many that we have paid for. We've paid for billions of doses. Not millions, folks. Not hundreds of millions. Several billion doses. And we did that. We were told supposedly to give a lot of these vaccines to low-income nations haven't heard any report of that. Nobody's asked the White House about any of that. But what we do know, what we do know, is those companies are doing really, really well, and we're paying the bill. Now, speaking of Fauci and speaking of Rand Paul, I told you just a few minutes ago, they went nose-to-nose in Congress, a Senate Judiciary hearing. And rather than tell you what happened and how Rand Paul and Anthony Fauci handled it, I thought, I'd just pull it down and let you decide for yourself. Here's Dr. Rand Paul, U.S. Senator from Kentucky, and Dr. Anthony Fauci. I don't expect you today to admit that you approved of NIH funding
6: for gain-of-function research in Wuhan, but your repeated denials have worn thin and a majority of Americans, frankly, don't believe you. Even the NIH now admits that EcoHealth Alliance did perform experiments in Wuhan that created viruses not found in nature that actually did gain in lethality. The facts are clear. The NIH did fund gain-of-function research in Wuhan, despite your protestations. You can deny it all you want, but even the Chinese authors of the paper, in their paper, admit that viruses not found in nature were created, and yes, they gained in infectivity. Your persistent denials, though, are not simply a stain on your reputation, but are a clear and present danger to the country and to the world. As Professor Kevin Esfeld of MIT has written, gain-of-function research looks like a gamble that civilization can't afford to risk. And yet here we are again with you steadfast in your denials. Why does it matter? Because gain-of-function research with laboratory-created viruses not found in nature could cause a pandemic even worse the next time we're suffering today from one that has a mortality of approximately 1% they're experimenting with viruses that have mortalities of between 15 and 50%. Yes, our civilization could be at risk from one of these viruses. Experiments that combine unknown viruses with known pandemic causing viruses are incredibly risky. Experiments that combine unknown viruses with coronaviruses that have as much as 50% mortality could endanger civilization as we know it. And here you sit, unwilling to accept any responsibility for the current pandemic and unwilling to take any steps to prevent gain-of-function research from possibly unleashing an even more deadly virus. You mislead the public by saying that the published viruses could not be COVID. Well, exactly no one is alleging that. No one is alleging that the published viruses by the Chinese are COVID. What we are saying is that this was risky type of research, gain of function research. It was risky to share this with the, with the Chinese and that COVID may have been created from a not yet revealed virus. We don't anticipate the Chinese are going to reveal the virus if it came from their lab. You know that, but you continue to mislead. You continue to support NIH money going to Wuhan. You continue to say you trust the Chinese scientist. You appear to have learned nothing from this pandemic. Will you today finally take some responsibility for funding gain-of-function research in Wuhan?
5: Senator, with all due respect, I disagree with so many of the things that you've said. First of all, gain-of-function is a very nebulous term. We have spent, not us, but outside bodies, a considerable amount of effort to give a more precise definition to the type of research that is of concern that might lead to a dangerous situation. You are aware of that. That is called P3CO. We're aware that you deleted gain of function
6: from the NIH website.
5: Well, I can get back to that a moment if we have time. But let's get back to the operating framework and guide rails of which we operate under. And you have ignored them. The guidelines are very, very clear that you have to be dealing with a pathogen that clearly is shown and very likely to be highly transmissible in an uncontrollable way in humans and to have a high degree of morbidity and mortality, and that you do experiments to enhance that, hence the word EPPP, Enhanced. Pathogens of potential potential So when EcoHealth
6: Alliance took the virus, SHC014, and combined it with WIV1 and caused a recombinant virus that doesn't exist in nature, and it made mice sicker, mice that had humanized cells, you're saying that that's not gain-of-function research?
5: According to the framework... And guidelines.
6: So what are you're doing is defining a way gain of function. No. You're simply saying it doesn't exist because you changed the definition on the NIH website. This is terrible and you're you're completely trying to escape right. the idea that we should do something about trying to prevent a pandemic from leaking from a lab. There's the preponderance of evidence now points towards this coming from the lab. And what you've done is changed the definition right. on your website to try to cover your ass, basically. That's what you've done. You've changed the website to try to have a new definition that doesn't include the risky research that's going on. Until you admit that it's risky, we're not going to get anywhere. You have to admit that this research was risky. The NIH has now rebuked them. Your own agency has rebuked them. But the thing uh, is, is you're still unwilling to admit that they gained in function when they say they became sicker. They gained in lethality. It's a
5: new virus. That's not gain of function According to the definition that is currently (laughs) operable, you know, Senator, let's make it clear for the people who are listening. The current definition was done over a two to three year period by outside bodies, including the NSABB, two conferences by the National Academy of Science, Engineering and Medicine on December 2014, March 2016. We commissioned external risk-benefit assessment, and then on January of 2017, the Office of Science and Technology Policy of the White House issued the current policy. And coincidentally, I, I coincidentally have not changed changed the definition any appeared definition.
6: on the same day the NIH said that, yes, there was a gain of function in Wuhan, the same day the definition appeared the new definition to try to define away what's going on in Wuhan until you accept it until you accept accept responsibility we're not going to get anywhere right. close to trying to prevent another lab leak of this dangerous sort of experiment you won't well, admit that it's dangerous and for that lack of judgment I think it's time that you resign th-
4: thank well, you senator Paul and I would like um, to give the time to Dr. Fauci. yeah
5: well there were so many things that are egregious misrepresentation here uh, madam chair that I don't think I'd be able to refute all of them, but just a couple of them for the listeners to hear for. You have said that I am unwilling to take any responsibility for the current pandemic. I have no responsibility for the current pandemic. The current pandemic, okay? Number two, you said the overwhelming amount of evidence indicates that's a lab leak. I believe most card-carrying Viral phy- phylogenists and molecular virologists would disagree with you. That is much more likely. Even though we leave open all possibilities, it's much more likely that this was a natural occurrence. Third, you say we
6: We've contested tested eighty thousand animals and no animals Senator have been Paul, found we, with COVID.
4: Senator Paul, the time is up for and third, you,
5: you made a statement just a moment ago that's completely incorrect. Where you say we continue to support research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You approved it in August of last year. No, no, your, your statement says, "Quote, I wrote it down as you were writing. You continue to support research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You were in committee a month ago Which and said Senator, you still on,
6: trust they, the they, Chinese scientists they, and you still support the research over there. You said it a month ago Senator in committee. Senator
4: Paul, I have allowed Dr. Fauci to respond. You've had your time. I'm going to give him if He's a, going to one be one dishonest.
6: Minute. He ought to be challenged. S-
4: Senator Paul, we will allow Dr. Fauci to respond after you've given accusations like that. Dr. Fauci.
5: Well, I don't have any more to say except to say that, as usual, and I've, I have a great deal of respect for this body of the Senate, and it makes me very uncomfortable to have to say something, but he is egregiously incorrect in what he says. Thank you.
6: Thank
4: History you.
5: will figure that out on its own. So
4: we will <laughs> turn to Senator Hassan. Thank you. Oh, my
1: gosh. Can you believe that? Um, it just went on and on and on. Folks, Rand Paul is a physician himself. He's very familiar with the process of finding and researching and making sure of the efficacy of any medicine before it's ever brought to the American people or any other people on planet Earth to be used. He knows that process. He knows it intimately. What you heard was Dodge, Weave and Dodge by Dr. Anthony Fauci. And it's all caught up. I I, I don't know if you remember. You remember the conflict when um, Bill Clinton was testifying uh, about a trial that had nothing to do with what he was about to be impeached for. But uh, he testified and he actually got caught up and instead of answering a question, he questioned the definition. It matters, he said, how you define this word. What is really means. The word is. That's what you just heard Anthony Fauci do, dodge and weave, dodge and weave, deflect, change the topic, change what's going on and being discussed about to make people just forget about the conversation. The guy's scrambling. He's being exposed a little bit more every day if you read that article. And if you haven't yet, please read it. It's about who Fauci really is and all kinds of evidence going way back in his career. He absolutely is the epitome of evil, primarily because his actions have instigated policies and procedures that those have killed millions of Americans and other people around the world. And of course, most most people that are listening in are people that are very conservative in thought. I know we have some uh, left us to listen in. I hear about it from time to time and that's fine. It doesn't matter. What we do is we find facts and when we find something that's been put out there, it's not been verified to be true or false, we'll report it to all of those of you who listen and that read the site, but we'll, we'll make it very clear. This is out there. We haven't been able to verify its validity but it's important enough we want to bring it to you and let you know that it's out there. We're going to continue research and if and when we discover it's true or not, um, we'll let you know. And so I don't have a problem with that. We don't know everything. And just because you or I think something's right or wrong doesn't necessarily mean that that's factual. But folks, facts are not based on anyone's opinion. Facts stand alone. The truth stands alone. And when you hear a guy, a very important guy, the most highly paid American government employee, more than the president of the United States, Anthony Fauci, when you hear him take a conversation like you just heard into the weeds, dodge, weave, and deflect, that proves to me, I don't know about you, but it proves to me there's something to hide. And what is there to hide? I think you know it's called the truth. And the truth is coming out daily about Fauci and this whole thing. We're all over it. Back after this. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network.
0: Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word from Your Wallet.
5: Typically, pretty
4: quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the. Uh,
0: uh, uh, uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years money saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today.
3: So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say let's go to the beach, Donnie says... Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says...
0: Your place needs furniture, and at the sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go
3: to the Pilgrim Warehouse Sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. Maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The Warehouse
1: Sale at Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. When Bolshevik Barbie throws shade,
0: you have the weapon of light, the truth.
1: TNN,
0: the Truth News Network.
1: I think Bolshevik Barbie, Pete Moss, you just heard him talk about Bolshevik Barbie. I think he's talking about Barbara Streisand. I need to ask him that. Never have been able to figure that out. Well, I guess you know that uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse jury in his murder trial is uh, still in consideration. Three days in, nothing as far as a verdict has happened yet, but that doesn't stop folks outside from going nuts. Here's what I don't understand. Black Lives Matter is there in the middle of it. Uh, Black Lives Matter protesters yesterday clashed with supporters of Kyle Rittenhouse on the streets. Now, here's what I don't understand. Black Lives Matter... They're a Marxist organization. They claim to be. It's part of their founding documents that you can find for yourself at Black Lives Matter on their website. They don't hide it. They're Marxist. They're racist. And, of course, they're anti-police, anti-military, anti-anybody that carries a gun that's not a person of color. But here's what I don't understand. They're there protesting against Kyle Rittenhouse, now, in case you didn't know this, Kyle Rittenhouse is a white guy. Yeah, he shot three people, two of them died. All three were white. So there's no white supremacy actions going on here, even though our president, Joe Biden, has on two separate public occasions called Kyle Rittenhouse a white supremacist. He gives no explanation. There is nothing in Kyle Rittenhouse's history that any of the mainstream media outlets can find that point to him being of white supremacist theology or thinking. Well, yesterday a bunch of people were arrested up there in Kenosha for this protest. Though the warring groups tried to keep the peace to the point of even sharing pizza with each other, That didn't last very long. Tensions escalated as a pro-BLM protester began hurling misogynistic insults toward one pro-Rittenhouse female protester. So when the cops attempted to stop it, shut it up, people started pushing back in the street, prompting several arrests. The moment speaks to just how high tension has risen in Kenosha, Wisconsin where authorities have been preparing for that potential riot in the event of Rittenhouse's acquittal. NBC reported it this way, quote, In the heart of downtown, small business owners were prepared for the worst, fearing protesters, crime, and vandalism may return regardless of the outcome in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. As closing arguments got underway on Monday, residents and business owners braced for a possible repeat of August 2020, when demonstrators took to the streets after a white cop shot Jacob Blake, who was a black resident of Kenosha, leaving him partially paralyzed. So some of these small business owners, folks, their lives have been shattered. A lot of them have just gone out of business. A floral shop owner there, Lina Pachchow, said that businesses should be prepared to face the worst. No matter which way the verdict goes, she said... Somebody's going to be upset. You always have to be ready because you don't know what's going to happen, but we hope in this case cooler minds will prevail. So I don't know how much you have um, kept up with the Kyle Rittenhouse case. As uh, we discussed last week, I looked in for just a couple of segments um, of the televised trial, parts of it anyway. So, I don't have a fix yet. I do believe the young man was stupid to bring that AR-15. Absolutely. I'm sure if he had it to do again, he wouldn't do it again. But, you know, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Nevertheless, I do think he had been carrying that gun for several hours around walking the streets. He never did anything with that gun until these three the three that were shot, that he shot, started chasing him. And two of them were carrying guns when they were chasing him and they were shouting horrible things. That's all documented on video. Somebody has weighed in on this case that I was a little bit, um, I was pretty shocked that she did. Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter. And so she penned an op-ed yesterday and I'll just give you a little Little bit of it. She said this In his prosecution of Kyle Rittenhouse, Kenosha County Assistant DA Thomas Binger drew so many well earned rebukes from the judge that some speculated he was intentionally trying for a mistrial. And Coulter said, Nope, he was fighting like a banshee. He just had a really bad case. Of course, it was his own decision to charge the then 17-year-old Rittenhouse with murder for shooting three psychopathic criminals who were attacking him at that BLM Antifa riot in Kenosha last year. In his closing argument, Binger decided to ignore his loser case and argue an entirely different case, for which it seems no evidence had been added. Binger posited that Rittenhouse was an active shooter, like at Sandy Hook Elementary or Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Forget that Rittenhouse was not at a grade school, but in the middle of a riot that did fifty million million in damage to the town of Kenosha. Forget about that rioters were beating up random people that they encountered, including a 71-year-old man protecting a mattress store from being looted, who had his jaw and nose broken by a water bottle filled with concrete, hurled by some of those... Unarmed protesters. Name one active shooter in history, just one, who strolled about with the gun for hours, not shooting anyone until he was chased, he was cornered, and was assaulted. Rittenhouse had a gun, not because he was violent, but because the protesters were, as the evidence in abundance demonstrated at the trial. But according to this DA, Binger, the collection of mental patients, domestic violence offenders, and pedophiles at attacking Rittenhouse were heroes just trying to stop the quote-unquote active shooter. Here's just one segment of what Binger said at the trial. I want you to keep in mind, he said, that we've all read stories and heard about heroes that step in to stop an active shooter or to give their life to save others. In fact, many people in Wisconsin went out and got carry and conceal weapons permits just so they could be there in case there was an active shooter and wanting to stop them. Yes, apparently Joseph Rosenbaum, Anthony Huber, and Gage Grosskrutz were in Kenosha that night to feed the hungry and minister to orphans when, out of nowhere, Rittenhouse, who once posted something juvenile on TikTok decided to start randomly shooting innocents. This is what the DA is saying in court, folks. If Binger had tried to introduce, what do we call it again, evidence that the men attacking Rittenhouse were Boy Scouts doing good things, the defense could have introduced the bales of evidence that were being withheld from the jury. The colorful backgrounds of Rittenhouse's assailants were properly kept out of evidence inasmuch as, much as he wouldn't have known about their multiple prior crimes when he shot them. But it's pretty sleazy for a prosecutor to rely on the juror's ignorance of excluded evidence to paint a picture he must know to be false of the men who attacked the defendant and their purest no-motives. The first degenerate criminal Rittenhouse shot, Joseph Rosenbaum, was out on bond for what? For domestic battery had been released from a mental institution that very day. He was a convicted felon for anally and orally raping five boys ranging in age from 9 to 11 years old. That's just a little bitty thing that they just forgot to mention, right? Luckily for Binger, the jury was not told any of that, so he was free to fantasize about the humanitarian impulses surging through the pedophile mental patient when he lunged at Rittenhouse shouting, F-word, you. And that was attested to by two witnesses in the trial. Rosenbaum, Binger told the jury, was only trying to stop the defendant from pointing his gun or shooting anyone. Yes, and then he planned to collect alms for the poor. So concerned was Rosenbaum with keeping everybody safe that he screamed at the defendant and other armed civilians, if I catch any of you... Effers alone, I'm going to effin' kill you. Again, that's according to two witnesses who testified at trial. Anthony Huber. He swung a skateboard at the head of the fallen Rittenhouse, was also a convicted felon for two separate instances of domestic violence, including holding a knife to his brother's stomach and threatened to gut him like a pig but the prosecutor made sure that the jury would never hear about any of that, not asking a state witness about Huber's character, specifically in order to prevent the defense from introducing evidence of his violent crimes. This allowed Binger to tell the jurors in closing that Huber was merely trying to be a hero and stop an active shooter protecting others. Yeah, protection has practically got you like a pig's middle name. And then there was Gage Grosskrutz. He's the one who admitted under oath that Rittenhouse didn't shoot until Grosskrutz himself pointed a Glock at Rittenhouse's head. That was admitted in the sense of there was a video. So to say otherwise would have been perjury. Grosskrutz is a career criminal, by the way, with police records for domestic abuse, prowling, trespass, two DUIs, felony burglary, two charges of carrying a firearm while intoxicated, all this kept from the jury. Assured that jurors had no knowledge of Grosskrutz's antisocial past, Binger told them that when Grosskreutz chased Rittenhouse and pulled the gun on, he was running and trying to help. The deranged individual called Jump Kick Man, who did a drop kick directly at Rittenhouse's head, was never identified, so sadly his undoubtedly exciting rap sheet is unavailable. But he's a hero too. Here's what Binger said. His version of the freaks and felons making near simultaneously runs at Rittenhouse as he sat where he'd fallen in the middle of the street. This is a quote. This is the prosecutor, and that crowd was full of heroes, and that crowd did something that honestly I'm not sure I would have had the courage to do. If I see a guy running up the street with an AR-15 and I hear he just shot somebody, my first instinct is not to go approach him. Anthony Huber was different. Jump Kick Man was different. Gage Grosskrutz was different. This is the prosecutor calling stranglers, burglars, and elderly abusers heroes. The only monster in the Sea of Angels, according to Binger, is Rittenhouse. The prosecutor alerted the jury to Rittenhouse's sick and dark past. His TikTok account has the profile name Four Doors More Whores and the tagline Bruh, I'm just trying to be famous. (laughs) Four Doors More Whores. <laughs> and bruh, I'm just trying to be famous. That means he's a killer. On the other hand, there's no evidence Rittenhouse violently attacked any family members, burgled any homes, or raped little kids. At the same age, Gross Grosskrutz was beating up his grandmother. That's the prosecutors, or one of the prosecutor's heroes. Democrats are defunding the cops, installing prosecutors who refuse to bring charges against violent, marauding lunatics. Any positive comment about Rittenhouse on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter led to an immediate suspension. GoFundMe refused to allow Rittenhouse's friends to raise money for his defense. People who did contribute it were hunted down, they were doxed, and were even fired for doing so. The same people who wanted to give Guantanamo war criminal civilian trials think an American who refused to acquiesce in his own murder didn't deserve legal representation. Coulter ended this way. Kyle Rittenhouse is on trial that no one will dare stand in the way of the left's shock troops ever again. Isn't it amazing? It's sad that um, what we see and hear in the news is often not what really happened. That facts are covered up. They're grossly misrepresentative. In fact, in many cases, they are recanted by telling reports, giving reports that are absolutely false. And you would think in the United States of America, with a, just a, a very broad very sweeping First Amendment, that people would be all over the truth in these things and would be trumpeting the truth from the mountaintops. But folks, everything's become political. Everybody's got a political slant on anything they do or anything they say, and the truth is not part of that. You can book it. It has nothing to do with what's being reported or what people are saying. I'll give you an example. Listen to this report that came from the New York Times came out yesterday. New York Times reported U.S. drug deaths by noting the number of Americans killed by drugs is higher than the number of Americans killed by cars and guns combined. Now, why are you bringing this up in the context of what you were just talking about, Dan? I'm just showing you sometimes when one of the mainstream outlets is not reporting something that is necessarily... um, Political, In other words, if it doesn't make one side or the other look bad and then the other side look good, then it's okay to report it. Over 100,000 people in the U.S. died of drug overdoses as this pandemic spread, surpassing the toll of gun violence and car crashes combined. The nearly 30% rise in deaths last year was fueled principally by fentanyl, the New York Times article says this. In the 12-month period that ended in April, more than 100,000 Americans died of overdoses. That's a more than 30% from the 78,000 deaths the previous year. The figure marks the first time the number of overdose deaths in the U.S. has exceeded 100,000 a year, more than the toll of car crashes and gun fatalities combined. Overdose deaths have more than doubled since 2015. Top 10 Causes of death in the National Safety Council's odds of dying chart. Number one, heart attack. Number two, cancer. Number three, all preventable forms of death. Number four, chronic lower respiratory disease. Number five, suicide. Number six, opioid overdose. Number seven, from falls. Number eight, motor vehicle crashes. Number nine, gun assault. Number ten, a pedestrian incident. So the left has spent years calling for guns to be regulated in the same way that motor vehicles are regulated in the U.S., but the National Safety Council info shows that Americans have higher chances of motor vehicle death than death through gun assault. The odds of dying by motor vehicle crash in one, are one in 107, while the odds of dying by a gun assault are only 1 in 289. i got to say, it's a great idea. It's a really good idea for the New York Times to finally come out and give us some facts. And they did. And the facts belie what the political narrative has been on the streets in this defund the police thing, and this anti-second-againment thing that has swept across the nation. And a lot of Americans are caught up in it just simply because they're not going to go find the facts. They're going to believe what anybody in media tells them. Why? Just because they're too lazy to go get facts. That's true, folks. That happens far more than we want to accept and far more than we want to believe. And so it just keeps going on and on and on and on. And then finally, a, a little nugget like this of truth drops in the news world. There's another one. You remember during the um, the Trump-Russia collusion investigation, Robert Mueller, and all of the crazy information that came out. And there was that first one big bomb that dropped in the marketplace of news. It was the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier, which was evidence that Trump spent a lot of time in Russia, had been doing some very nefarious things. Hookers in a hotel room, the same room that the Obama, they stayed in when they were in Moscow, and hookers were up on the bed urinating on the bed while Donald Trump looked on and laughed. That was all part of the Steele dossier, and there was a bunch of other stuff in it. Well, of course, we find out last week. Now, think about in the context of years, how long ago this dossier information came to light. I mean, it was 2017. Here we are four years later, and guess what? We find out everything about the Steele dossier. None of it, nothing in it has been corroborated. In fact, the one person who was involved in uh, the information and how it all came together and ended up in the hands of the Hillary Clinton campaign and was funded in part by Hillary's campaign along with the Democrat National Committee. We find out in all that, guy gets indicted. And after his indictment, we found out more and more and more what we knew all along Steele Dossier was not true. So another leftist news outlet has been confronted with facts that have come out regarding news that they published saying all along the Steele dossier was factual and Donald Trump was evil. He was colluding with Vladimir Putin in Russia. The Washington Post made headlines last week when it corrected and altered two stories that inaccurately identified a key source of that steel dossier, But the paper also added editors' notes to at least 14 other stories they had published. Those two stories, the first two they mentioned, they were published in March of 2017 and February of 2019. They were changed when the newspaper's executive editor, Sally Busby, said she could no longer stand by their quote-unquote accuracy. The post-added editor's notes, amended headlines, removed sections identifying Sergei Milan as the source, and deleted an accompanying video summarizing the articles. The changes came after special counsel John Durham's investigation into that Russia probe further discredited the already shaky dossier, and it all happened when Russian, Russian national Igor Danchenko who is the subsource for the dossier when he was indicted? The Post media reporter, a guy named Paul Farhi, wrote the indictments. Suggest Dancinko may have gotten his information about the hotel encounter not from Million, but from a Democratic Party operative with long-standing ties to Hillary Clinton. I'll tell you who that is in just a second. He noted that Clinton ally Charles Dolan Jr. could be the unnamed operative when he penned an article announcing the changes. Now, the now-corrected report also popped up in other Washington Post articles, like March 29, 2017, an article headlined Trump's first hundred days, an investigation. Now features a lengthy editor's note that has become quite common among the paper's archives. Here's what they say. Quote, an earlier version of this story published March 29, 2017, referred to previous reporting in the Washington Post that Belarusian American businessman, Sergey Millian, had been a source of information for a dossier of unverified allegations against Donald Trump. In November of 2021, the Post removed that material from the original 2017 story after the account was contradicted by allegations in a federal indictment and undermined by further reporting. References to the initial report have been removed from this piece. And the post added to the online version of the article. I think it's kind of cool they're doing this. And then some reports that were published in October of 2017 were headlined top campaign officials knew of Trump Advisors' outreach to Russia and, for a low-level volunteer, Papadopoulos sought high-profile as Trump advisor. They have the editor's note, the same note. Four stories published in November 2017 have also been corrected, the note said. Finally, finally, somebody is going to be at least a little bit honest about some of the stuff went on. And I think that's glad I'm I think it's admirable that they would come back and do that. But it's still you you can't change what you've already done. You could come back and talk about it, but seldom do all the people that see the original thing, original stories in this case, and original headlines in this case, it's very seldom that the same number of people all the same people that heard and reacted to it the first time are going to come back and even ever find out that you're coming back as a publisher and saying, well, maybe things are not as we said they were. Once again, that you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Before we go to break, let me point this out to you. Think about this. Think through the people in government In our intelligence operations, intelligence, I'm talking about the CIA, the FBI, the Department of National Intelligence, and many, many other bureaus that were involved in all of this and people that worked within these separate agencies who were involved in putting the dossier out there, the Steele dossier, and promoting it as factual when All along, they knew it was not true. And we're not talking about little minions. We're talking about former director of the FBI, James Comey. Think about that. We're talking about the current director of the FBI. He's probably implicated in it himself, Christopher Wray and so many others, people that are in very high responsible positions in our government. The stuff they work on, the stuff they do, it's critical to the nation. You would think that those would be the very people that would demand of themselves and everyone with whom they came in contact at their various agencies, everybody, tell the truth, tell the truth, present the facts. When they were out there marketing lies Illegally, I mean classified information being spread to news outlets by people at the top of these agencies. James Comey twice passed out classified information to a quote-unquote friend of his for the express purpose of leaking it to the media. Felony criminal acts. And of course the worst conundrum is nothing's happened to James Comey for doing that. Felonies for revealing classified information. And we're talking about the FBI, folks. No way! Taco Bell's Toasted
3: Cheddar Chalupa is back.
2: Are you thinking what I'm thinking? They, they toasted, toasted 6 month old aged cheddar right, right
3: onto, onto the shell, shell of a chalupa. chalupa? Best genius, no delicious, no both, and now it comes in a box of with a crunchy taco, taco cinnamon twist and a medium drink? Whoa. <sighs> oh, sorry, this is, this is my stop.
2: Oh, uh,
5: cool. We're all thinking it. The $5 Toasted Cheddar Chalupa box is back. Only at Taco Bell. At limited participating U.S. locations for a limited time only. Contact local store for prices, hours and
0: participation, which vary. Tax extra drinks, excludes freezes.
2: Look, we know that boy's gonna ask again, so let's be ready.
0: Fine. I'll be him. You ready? Ready.
2: Mom, could you hook me up with a go phone? You'll run up the bill, son. Yo, that's whack, moms. Go phone is totally different. What? It'll only cost me an arm? Chillax. It has unlimited talk and text. Seriously? Word. Okay. We'll get a go phone. Really? Uh, <clears throat> really? That is the bomb. Do you even know what the bomb means? Yes.
0: No. Hey! I- GoPhone, only from AT&T. With unlimited talk to 65 million wireless at t customers and now unlimited text to anyone on any network. AT&T, your world delivered. Missing persons. Missing persons? Missing persons. My wife is missing. Your wife is missing? My wife is missing. When did you last see her?
1: Four o'clock. Four o'clock. Four o'clock.
0: Where's your TV, sir? The bedroom. Have you looked in the bedroom, sir? Uh... No. She's probably watching Madlock. Madlock is on at 4 o'clock? Every weekday at 4 on Channel 2. Go check your bedroom, sir. I'll wait.
1: Okay.
4: She's watching Matlock. I thought so. I didn't know
1: Matlock was on at 4 o'clock. Every weekday at 4 on
0: Channel 2. She really likes Andy Griffith. Of course she does. She must be so engrossed by Matlock she forgot to tell me where she was. Tell her I understand. Okay, I'll be right back. No, I didn't mean... Sir?
3: Matlock, every weekday at 4 on Channel 2. Hey, my favorite episode. Because there's
5: nothing like a good mystery. I'm hanging up now, sir. Hello?
1: A lot of other stuff going on in Washington D.C. Speaking with Mike Johnson, Congressman from the Fourth Congressional District here in North Louisiana, he is um, involved in the House Judiciary Committee, also some other very high-level positions in the GOP and the United States House of Representatives. You remember when they had the Attorney General in that appeared before both Senate and House committees last week and the week before. Testifying, giving status on a number of things. But the big thing that came up was that memorandum that was put out um, by the Department of Justice on Attorney General Merrick Garland's instructions regarding instructions to the FBI to start watching the parents of public school children who were going to school board meetings and were vocally pushing back against the teaching of critical race theories in schools, he was instructing or he instructed the FBI to watch these parents. In other words, they were the target of what many have termed domestic terrorism. Well, you and I know there's never been a gun incident. There's never been any violence perpetrated in any of these school board meetings. So, members of the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committees they brought um, the Attorney General in to ask questions about that and other things. Of course he denied having any responsibility there was nothing about domestic terrorism in his memo yada 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 again and again and again and again in both committee hearings. Well some other news came out. In those hearings both sides of Congress he was asked What was his personal involvement in preparing and sending out that memo in regards to contact, coordination, whatever, with anybody at the White House? And he demonstrably made it very, very clear. That was my terms. I wrote it. I didn't talk to anybody else. Nobody was involved in that. Well, here's Mike Johnson. Yesterday, in... The House Judiciary Committee hearing now the Attorney General is not there, but Mike Johnson is talking to the, his fellow members on that committee. Listen to what the congressman had to say.
0: We have to address the most pressing pressing, and most immediate issue that is before this committee. We have a broad jurisdiction. Among our jurisdiction is the oversight of the Department of Justice. The, the highest ranking law enforcement official in America testified before us on October 21st. Yesterday, a whistleblower document reveals that the FBI's criminal and counterterrorism divisions added a threat tag to parents who protest or express their concerns about local education policies at local school boards. Why is this so noteworthy? Well, this now leaked October 20th internal memo gave that directive. Obviously, treating concerned parents as domestic terrorists is outrageous, we're deeply concerned about that. But this development is even more urgent. Because the Attorney General appeared before us, Merrick Garland, he specifically testified the day after this directive was issued, it was October 21st, he said repeatedly and under oath that the Department of Justice is not targeting parents. In fact, as as Ranking Member Jordan said just a moment ago, here's, here's just one quote from his testimony. He said, Attorney General Garland said in his own words, I cannot imagine any circumstance in which the parents these parents would be labeled as domestic terrorists. But this disclosure from the DOJ whistleblower calls into question the accuracy and the completeness of that specific testimony. Did the Attorney General mislead us? Or did he actually not know what the two largest divisions of the Department of Justice are doing about one of the highest-profile issues in America today? There are only two possibilities here. He's either dishonest or he's incompetent. And either scenario is of great alarm to the American people. I, I, I have a letter that I sent to him November 2nd following that hearing because one of the issues that he was not forthcoming about was his family's financial interest in the very issue that he directed the Department of Justice to go after. And I said in this letter, by any objective measure, your answers to very simple and direct questions during our hearing were inadequate. And it is thus our obligation as as the Judiciary Committee to again request information to determine whether you met your ethical obligations as our country's top law enforcement official when you issued that October 4th memorandum, where he sicked the Department of Justice, U.S. attorneys and FBI agents on parents for showing up and engaging in their First Amendment right to weigh in on their children's curriculum and what's happening. And of course, his son-in-law, as we pointed out and as the records reflect, directly relates to this. He has a direct financial interest in pursuing critical race theory curricula and other materials that the parents are going to protest. So the highest-ranking law enforcement in the country weighs in on it, sicks the full weight of the Department of Justice against parents who are protesting the very materials that his family is profiting from. The Code of Federal Regulations discourages executive branch officials from engaging in conduct, I say in my letter, reminding him, that is likely to affect the financial interest of quote, a person with whom he has a covered relationship. The Attorney General has not addressed this issue, and now, because of this leak, we have good reason to believe that he misled us, not only on that, but on all the issues that he testified to, the main issue of the hearing, from our perspective. And this is of great concern. So we believe, we insist that the Attorney General return to this committee that we put him under oath again, and we get answers to these critical questions. Because, as I explained to him in that hearing, and we all know, the American people are losing their faith in our institutions, and if they lose their faith in the idea that justice is blind, that there are not two standards of justice, there's just one standard, and no one is above the law, if we lose our belief in that standard and that principle, then we lose something that is essential and fundamental to holding our Republic together. That's what's at stake. And the importance of that issue transcends everything else that we have to do today. Everything, in my view, everything we have to do in this Congress for the remainder of the year, we have to get the Attorney General on record to clear this up. The American people are owed that, and we will not cease in insisting upon that. And, Mr. Chairman, I beg you to do your job, do our job as as this committee, with this important oversight responsibility, and bring back the Attorney General.
1: You know what's sad about that? Congressman Johnson, he just made some great weighty points that need to be discussed, need to be discussed openly in front of the American people, incidentally. But sadly, I don't think any of this will be handled. I don't think anything Congressman Johnson, you heard him just ask for, oversight by the committee, this the House Judiciary Committee, over the Department of Justice and the Attorney General, and the fact that he lied. The attorney General lied in congressional hearings on both sides of Congress, the House Judiciary Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee, when he was asked the same questions. And then they find out he told a falsehood. So how does the number one law enforcement agent of the United States government and the American people, an Attorney General, any Attorney General, lie about something specifically and just get away with it. Eric Holder, Barack Obama's first attorney general, did the same thing. He lied. He was subpoenaed. He ignored the subpoena. He was subpoenaed for some other documents that were to corroborate some of the things that he had testified to, and he wouldn't respond to that. He was referred for criminal prosecution in the D.C. District Court, and the court refused to indict him why? Democrats were in charge. That means the government is going to be controlled by the Democrat. And sadly, by federal judge appointees, that particular court was loaded and was very, very positive with liberal leftist judges. So nothing was brought, nothing happened to Eric Holder. And it's sad to think that this is the same situation. A Democrat House of Representatives, a Democrat Democrat U.S. Senate, a Democrat in the White House, Attorney General lies about some very important things that are impacting every public school student in the United States and every parent that has kids in public schools in the United States. And I don't think anything's going to happen. Wow. Wow. There's a story out, a really good story. It's actually penned uh, and it's published at Real Clear Politics. It's in their section, Real Clear Education. And the question is the title of this story, what if low-cost private education existed? The world's low-cost and private education seems antithetical with the cost of tuition about 12 grand per year, private education is financially out of the reach of most families. So how many kids are we talking about? Well, out of the fifty-six and a half million in the U.S. K through twelve students, only about ten percent or five point seven two million are enrolled in private schools. Yeah, there's a growing number of homeschool students and students in other traditional forms of school like public charter schools, virtual micro-schools, learning pods, and hybrid options. The overwhelming majority attend traditional public schools. All three of our kids, they came up 100% through public schools, got great educations. On average, private school students, though, outperformed their public school peers in test scores, graduation rates, and percentages that are matriculating to college this is despite public schools spending on average 4000 more per student each year the same is true for students who attend charter schools or homeschool better academic results and less money spent according to ed choices ed which is short for education ed choices 2021 schooling in america survey it was conducted from june and during July this year, only 34% of parents of students attending traditional public schools say that that is their preference. They'd rather be going, having their kids going to private schools. 40% of all parents desire private school for their children. Furthermore, only 31% of current public school parents are very satisfied with their kids' public district school. of private school parents are very satisfied. Sadly, the high tuition cost of private schools, as opposed to free public schools, keep most families in a situation they don't prefer. So one hopeful note is that school choice is gaining record new ground this year with five additional states implementing educational saving accounts. That makes the total that are doing this 10 states now and the expansion of private school tuition vouchers in multiple states. However, most parents still don't have access to private schools. Many school choice funding allowances cover just a part of the private school tuition. Many are limited to special needs students of the lowest income brackets. In many cases, the total number of students eligible for these state funding allowances is capped to just a small number less than one-half of 1% of students have access to a private school voucher. Even when we include all forms of school choice, funding avenues, and charter schools, fewer than 1 in 15 students in America have access to these options. What's the fix, Dan? Let's just dumb it down. Every state publishes the cost per kid, per child. The public cost for kids that are in public schools per child cost by the state government to teach these kids top to bottom. There's an easy way to come up with the formula, folks, in every state. Now, what does that mean, Dan? Let me ask you. Let me just just throw something out. What if instead of just making it just a private school uh, or a public school environment, we give parents an option. You don't like the education your kid is getting? You don't like the environment? Maybe the school your kid is going to and is in their district that they have to go to doesn't teach what your kid needs. Novel idea. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could take the per-kid dollars that is being paid for your kid's public education, if you could take that money in the form of a voucher, and take your kid to the school in your town or city that you think is better for your kids, whether it's public or private. Well, of course, the lobbying system, the bureaucracy in the United States, they went crazy. Teachers lobby. Teachers have amazing, these labor unions, amazing power. They have so much money. And teachers are paying in left and right, and these unions are watching their backs, and of course the worst thing they say that could happen to their union members is if they're required to get better at what they're doing. I remember a time when the United States in education achievement was in the top five in the nation, I mean in the world. No longer are we that. Why is that? It's not because of the students, folks. It's because of the education system in public schools and the way that public schools are run now that is largely controlled. In fact, I can promise you this, more than 50% of the process is controlled by teachers' unions. Now, every American family, they're paying into the government in multiple ways through taxes, the money that is used to pay for public school educations by the state and local governments. The state of Louisiana, for example, two years ago, the average cost of public school students to the state government was $11,000 a year, a nine-month period. And granted, I understand that a piece of that, a percentage of that, goes to the uh, the administration cost and the oversight and those kind of things. So maybe we don't look at an $11,000 number. Let's say... 20% 20% of that is held at the state level to pay for the you know the infrastructure of the pub the whole public school system statewide but you're a parent you want your kid to go to a, one private school or one charter school or maybe even another public school that best fits your kid and you get a voucher for your kid that you can take to any school and if you can get your kid Qualified enrolled to go there, you hand them that voucher and your kid gets to go to the school of your choice, and you're a taxpayer, you're paying taxes that go to fund all school systems. You have that bit of it, your part of it, to take with you. Your kid goes where the money goes. Doesn't that seem fair? How does that not fair? How is that not something that is dual? Ten states are pushing that, have agreed to implement it, and some have already done so. We're watching it closely. And, of course, the teachers' unions, they're fighting it tooth and nail, as you can imagine. They're going to lose power, and they're going to lose a whole lot of money. Now, the number one pushback that we get from them is how are we going to afford the public school systems? Well, let me tell you what would happen in a scenario where we actually had a system that was 100% built on the voucher system. What's going to happen? Well, you're going to see schools close down. Public schools are going to close down. Everybody's going to want to go to these private schools. Think it through, folks. What's the best thing about the economy and our political and economic and education system all combined. What's the best thing about it? You got a product. You have money. You have a service. And you have people that want that service. You have people that want the product. What do people want to do? They want the specific product in that category. They want and will go find the best product at the best price is what fulfills their needs and desires. That's where they're going to shop. So what do you do? If you're not providing, if you're not the entity, or you're not the person that's providing the best, you're going to get better at what you do. And the levels go up. A better product is going to be more in demand, which means more people are going to want to come there, and everything gets better. This would be a challenge to teachers to get better at what they do. This would be a challenge to administrators to get better at what they do. This would be a challenge for the entire educational system to do what? Provide for the needs and the desires of the taxpayers in every state regarding kids' education. What in the heck is wrong with that? There is nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. One more break. When we come back, you got to hear what happened yesterday. Elizabeth Warren, former candidate for the U S presidency. She is a Senator in the state of Massachusetts. And she was on MSNBC yesterday talking about the Biden economy and how good it is. You're not going to believe this. Well, maybe you will because it is Elizabeth Warren far left way, 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 way far left. And, um, She thinks just like Joe Biden thinks, you can't spend too much money. And you don't need to worry about having the money in the bank that you're going to spend. All you have to do is fill out and sign an IOU. And, of course, you is the federal government. And that IOU, the guarantors at the bottom of it, are not the federal government. They're the American people. You and I are the ones that are stuck with the bill. More from that, more about that. With Elizabeth Warren, Senator, right after this.
0: Not just political,
1: not just lifestyle, but always relevant. Real truth, real news.
0: TNN, the Truth News Network. Don't miss our iHeartRadio at-home session with Jesse McCartney.
2: Presented by Hellman's. An exclusive and intimate performance. At a time when we're craving live music. Watch Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on iHeartRadio's
0: YouTube. Missing that restaurant flavor at home this summer? Hellman's is bringing crave-worthy flavors to you. Serving up new drizzle sauces that you can put on pretty much anything. With flavors like cilantro lime, roasted garlic, and creamy chili honey, you can drizzle, dip, and dress to make home the best restaurant around.
5: The voice we
0: need more than ever, Dan Newman,
1: TNN, the Truth News Network.
0: Ah, eh, I don't know
1: about that. I'm just one voice. It's a big, 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 big world, folks, and we need a lot of voices. We need your voices. We need you talking to everybody that uh, lives and you run into in your circle of influence. Some of our circles overlap, but they don't all overlap. There are people that you know and people that know you that have no clue who I am. And so I guess we have a responsibility, all of us do, to uh, put our best foot forward and tell the story, tell the truth. Elizabeth Warren, she said yesterday on MSNBC's The Readout that President Biden's BBB he calls it "bill Back Better, I call it "bill Back Stupid Package, would continue what the senator said would be good economic indicators that have been shown during the first year of his administration. Good economic indicators. She said, so I look at it this way. There are a lot of strong signs in this economy, particularly coming out of the pandemic. A lot of good economic indicators. She said, I try to look What is happening in families across this country? Keep in mind the big expenses here, Joy, child care. Warren said from the time she was trying to get child care to today, child care expenses have gone up nearly 1000% for parents. Anybody who is trying to take care of an elderly parent and needs home-based care for it has seen the prices go through the roof. Anybody who is taking a prescription to have it filled has just seen huge price increases. These are big increases that hit a budget hard. This is the reason we need Build Back Better, she said. If we're really talking about what affects people's pocketbooks every single day, week after week, year after year, it's these big expenses, she said. This is what is the next bill that's teed up right now. The House has got its toes right on the line to pass this thing. That'll give us universal child care and pre-K. And I'm going to stop there, folks. This just demonstrates the insanity that is happening across our government. They have no clue. They think the answer is bigger government, more power, more control by the feds, and we'll all just sit there, thankfully, applauding them for what they're doing, spending money, trillions of dollars that we don't have, and they're couching that and telling us, it's for your own good. It's for your own good. That's a wrap today. And folks, we always end with a song. Today, this one's a little bit different. It's Toby Mac, one of my favorite artists, Christian artist. This song is about um, feeling good about things in your life and how not to look at the bowl, the bucket, the glass as being half empty it's always half full have a great day folks enjoy thursday we're going to be back here tomorrow morning nine o'clock sharp don't miss it
3: For me. Hey. Oh, I feel it in my heart. I
4: feel it in my soul That's how I know oh, oh. Hey. You take our brokenness And make us beautiful Yeah,
3: that's how I know That's how I know Everybody talking like they need some proof But oh, oh, what know I need? you feel When you. I sit
5: back and imagine
3: thought I made
0: That's how I know